Hello, baby. Want a kiss? Welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast with your host, Ken Hess. Teaching a parakeet to talk is fun, but the old method took too much time and patience. This record is specially designed to teach any healthy, normal parakeet to talk by using a scientific new method that is acknowledged to be far superior because a carefully trained voice, specially chosen for excellence in clarity and diction, repeats over and 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 over the same words, the same phrase, in a manner that most parakeets are most likely to imitate. Check experimentalfilm.info for information, interviews, and episodes. For the next few seconds, this record will be silent. This podcast is dedicated exclusively to experimental film and its makers. Welcome to episode 12 of the Experimental Film Podcast. Today's guest is Joseph Culp. Joseph is a producer and director, and his film Sunset Strip Self-Improvement Affirmations is an official selection in the Experimental Film Fest. And today we're going to discuss that and other films with Joseph. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure to be on the show, and uh, and thank you so much for also selecting our film for the film festival. Oh, yeah. It was my pleasure. I, I love it. It was loved by all the judges, I'll have to say. Uh, in fact, uh-huh. uh, why don't we take a moment here and let you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Well, um, so I am Joseph Culp. Um, I'm an actor and a writer and a filmmaker. And I have been for pretty much most of my adult life. I've been an actor since I professionally working since I was well for about five years now, and um, and then I in film and television and the theater, of course. And um, I began to make film, write and make films, probably about twenty years ago, fifteen twenty. Uh, independently and, um, you know, really felt like I wanted to take things further because I had had a lot of experience uh, just as an actor and I have a great love of film. Um, I also come from a a background. Um, uh, I grew up uh, the son of a very famous actor named Robert Culp, who also was was in a lot of film and television. People might know him from uh, the very popular series in the 1960s called I Spy, which he co-starred with Bill Cosby as two top spies traveling around the world. They might know Robert Culp from The Greatest American Hero in the 80s, um, another popular show. He played the the FBI uh, agent Bill Maxwell in that, and he also was on Everybody Loves Raymond as the father-in-law and dozens and dozens of movies and television shows over the years. So I grew up with him as my dad and in Hollywood and started visiting sets when I was probably five years old. So it, I was kind of in a Hollywood family, so to speak, um, which means I, I got an education early on about film, love of film. My dad was very passionate about great filmmaking, uh, the great directors, filmmakers, and really made sure that we had quite an education in that. So... Uh, when I decided to follow <laughs> in the family tradition when I was quite young, um, doing New York theater and studying as an actor and starting to work, um, eventually a moment came probably in my mid to late 30s where I said, you know, I'm really frustrated. I, I'm not doing the kind of roles I want to do. I'm not doing the stories I want to do. And my dad, you know, once again said, you know, you do theater, you direct theater. Making movies is not that much different, not really. So why don't you go and do that? And in a weird way, he kind of gave me a little bit of permission, I think. And so, uh, so I started working on independent films uh, more as a producer and writer, producer, director. And um, I made a few shorts, uh, made a feature, uh, produced a couple of other features. And so film, I'm very passionate about it. It's a big part of my life. And, uh, and I continue to this day. And, um, and there are a lot of projects. I recently did a, released a feature film called Welcome to the Men's Group, all about a comedy drama about a men's group. And um, this recent short film, which is in the Experimental Film Festival, 
Sunset Strip uh, self-improvement affirmations was in fact a very experimental uh, piece, uh, not the normal thing I, I do. I would say I do more scripted. <clears throat> this was more improvised, uh, but I'll talk more about that in a minute. So anyway, that's sort of catching you up on Joseph Culp and where he comes from. Well, it's interesting you should uh, mention that your father is Robert Culp because uh, I was going to tell you, I didn't want to presume, but I thought, man, this guy sounds just like Robert Culp. <laughs> and so I was going to say, hey, I don't know if you've ever been told this or not, but you sound like a, an actor named Robert Culp. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Well, if you go online and look at the pictures of me and him apart and together, I dare say you might see some resemblance there, too. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny, and I, yeah. you know, I always, I always um, make comparisons between people. Uh, you know, I joke hmm. around with my wife a lot. I go, "Hey, is that is that Prince over there? Is that you know someone famous?" You know, I see someone and she'll look at me. She goes, "Oh my God, you are so weird," but I always, I always do that to her, and it's kind of funny if someone resembles someone slightly, but um, you know, she's going to be happy that I was right this time. <laughs> Like, well, I would I would dare say the sound that our sound is even more similar than the way we look. Yeah. Uh, but um, but yeah, I, we do share certain square jawed features and uh, so forth. And he was a far more prominent leading man, and I've been kind of more of a character guy in a certain way uh, uh, over the years. Um, played a lot of character roles, and. Um, because to be to be the the classic movie star leading man is kind of developing your own persona in a certain way, and he had that. But I was always interested in kind of like how different could I be, you know, in each role, and and that was always an obsession of mine. But uh, anyway, the older we get, the closer we get. That's yeah. for sure. Well, you yeah. know, I really uh, enjoyed him in Greatest American Hero. I remember that show and loved it a lot. And I always thought it was so mm. cool. And every time I see any of the actors from that show, I just think, man, I wish that show was back on. It was so good, you know. I know a lot mm. of people might not love it, but I, I loved it because it was it was everything. You know, it had... Uh, oh, it had a... Uh, yeah. It had a very... I mean, it had a very loyal fan base. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There wasn't anything like it at the time, really. Yeah. Well, I liked it because the, the superhero show and the humanity, all that. Yeah, you liked it because? Well, he, he was so vulnerable, you know, and, you know, they, they found mm. the suit left by the aliens and they, I guess they lost the uh, instruction manual, which was hilarious. And so, That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was a, it was a great series. And I don't want to tell you that I've actually seen uh, I Spy, um, but I, I've actually seen some of those episodes and. I'm not going to say whether I saw them when they first aired or not, but um, anyway, I'm a couple. Mm. I'm a couple of years older than you, but uh, I have actually. Oh seen well, I Spy, I Spy, <laughs> I Spy was 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 a was a groundbreaking show. Um, not just for my my, my father's career. Um, he, he had already done a western. He'd been a western star in early TV. He had a show called Trackdown, which you can actually still see on like MeTV and stuff where he played a Texas Ranger. Um, but I Spy came along in the mid-60s, 1965 premiered, and uh, it broke the color barrier on, on television, basically, where you had a black and white actor, both paired equally. Yeah. Um, they were friends. There was no jokes about you know any kind of racial stuff at all. It was all about being cool and hip and suave. And it just completely broke things open um, uh, in terms of civil rights on television and very important show and very unique show because they were funny and cool. It was also very dramatic at times and action packed, but uh, it shot, you know, if you remember the whole thing of the show is that these spies traveled all around the world and they literally did that when no show had ever done it before or since. But they figured out a way for them to shoot uh, major sections of each episode in, uh, you know, in Hong Kong, in Japan, in Italy, in Spain. Um, and they really did, went there and they really shot it there. So it was a very 
this international show and that also made it very singular and it certainly put my father like up in the stratosphere at that point uh, in terms of his stardom yeah that's for sure he, he was a great a great actor and a lot of people probably don't know but he was in um gosh and i always get the title wrong bob and carol and ted and alice <laughs> Which was another groundbreaking well, show. Another landmark show. Yeah, another ground groundbreaking film about the a sex comedy about, you know, so-called uh, swapping and, yeah. you know, testing the social <laughs> mores of that time and everything. It's a great film. It's a yep. funny film and it holds up big time to this day. Uh, it's a great, great piece. And he was, yeah, very singularly stood out with Natalie Wood and Elliot Gould and Diane Cannon. Yeah. Yeah, really is. terrific film. Yeah, in fact, if people haven't seen that, I suggest that you see it because it's a it's a now a classic. So, uh, and lots of people refer to it in their own work. So, that's um, definitely one to see. Yes, all the time. That's uh, that's absolutely right. So back. To so you. yeah. So that's my background. <laughs> I come from from that whole history, yeah. and uh, and here I am making you know strange films in the two thousands wherever we're at. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. Um, in fact, Sunset Strip, Self Improvement Affirmations. Um, the other, uh, there were five judges on this, and we all did it blind. In other words, we couldn't see any uh, details about the uh, filmmaker, so it was just the film. And I, the other judges oh, raved yeah. over it. They loved it, and I was like. I'm going to have to watch it a couple more times. Uh, it's only 13 minutes or, or, you know, just over 13 minutes. Long. Yeah. And it's, it's an, a good watch. I mean, it's a good film to watch. There's lots of interesting things about it, but before I get into that, uh, why don't you tell us about the movie itself and, you know, kind of, um, how it all came about for you. So one of my passions, um, in, in since I was a young um, actor uh, starting out was is the theater and so I started out in New York theater and then when I moved I lived in New York for a long time I moved back to Los Angeles and I started a theater company what you might call sort of a workshop company um, where we used a some interesting techniques to create new and original theater. Um, it's called the walking theater group and it uses a process called walking in your shoes, which is a whole other thing that I do, um, which uses sort of, a how shall I call it? It's, we use the empathy, we call it a body empathy technique and creative people love to use this to discover things, um, and to create, create new work. So one, um, we would often, um, uh, had a lot of different types of people in my workshop, in my company. And one of the people that I knew as a friend came in and he was with us for a few years. And his name is Doug Knott. And Doug Knott uh, is a published poet. Uh, I might even call him a performance poet, meaning that he doesn't just do readings. He, he eventually began to act out scenarios around his poems so he's really he's a brilliant writer he is he was a big part of the kind of new wave punk scene in the 80s in los angeles and so he used to put on shows with red hot chili peppers and uh, x and you know various bands and stuff um but he was always very alternative and he's just a great writer great poet and he was like Joseph, I want to be more of an actor. I want to be able to present my stuff. So we started working on um, some of his poems. He'd bring them in. I'd say, okay, so tell us this poem. And in this case, uh, so we did, and we did several, and we turned them into what I would call performance pieces, you know, like a performance poem where he would literally become a character and do the poem or he would you know essentially memorize it so he's not reading off of a page and you know create a scenario that you could understand the poem what he was trying to get at so um sunset strip i'll call it for short uh self-improvement affirmations was one he brought in and he read it and i said this is 
this is hilarious. This is great. It's got great language. And it's all about very much where we live and where we live, lived at that time was, is Los Angeles. And it was about the kind of the soul of the, the wannabe, uh, the one who really wants to be close to this crazy Hollywood glitzy thing. Like it's so dazzling and so provocative and everybody wants to be part of it and everybody wants to get close to this thing called fame and in los angeles we're just the whole culture is just embedded with that you know it's like the sunset strip for instance that famous boulevard uh hollywood boulevard of course which is just adjacent to the sunset strip and it's just filled with aspiring people aspiring to be actors to be musicians to be you know producers uh the whole world of, of film of course is very permeated in that too so doug not um who's old he's about doug's, doug's about 75 now he started working on this uh, and i said you know in the process we discovered that there were two major characters in this poem. And he discovered this through using this technique that I have called walking in your shoes, where you walk as an aspect of, of your poem or your idea. And one of the characters that emerged was a pilgrim or like a spiritual pilgrim, a someone who, not a pilgrim from, you know, Mayflower, but the, the pilgrim's progress, the, the, the acolyte, the one who wants to, spiritual realization and goes on a journey. And so that began uh, the work in making the poem into a theatrical piece. Eventually, he created the pilgrim who wanders the streets of Los Angeles, um, talking about what he sees from the billboards to the tattoo parlors to the wannabe musicians everywhere. And then eventually he comes into a, a coffee shop and he meets the mentor, who is one of these somewhat charlatan producer types. And so then Doug Knott becomes the mentor and he would put on a wig and dark glasses and he talks to us as the producer who's really going to make our big career, you know. And so eventually this poem became a theatricalized piece with two major characters that he played. And he went up on stage and he did it and he ran and he did it a lot. He performed it all around Los Angeles. He performed it in various cities and at some point, we were talking about, you know, we really got to get a good recording of this. And I said, well, Doug, why don't we just shoot it? Why don't we shoot it? You know, I've been making movies for a while now, and let's just go out on Sunset Strip, the actual place that the poem is all about. And you become the pilgrim, and we're going to just do a kind of pseudo-documentary style, and you'll do the poem in the street like a piece of performance art. And we will feature the visuals and the actual place that the poem is about, the Sunset Strip. And he did that. And we, we shot for several nights out on Sunset Boulevard. And we created uh, the, the, the coffee shop with the, the mentor speech. And, and I said, listen, I don't know what it's going to be. It's basically an experiment. It'll be a hybrid sort of film. And it'll be a record of this kind of fantastic, you know, piece of writing that you've done and performance. And so that's, it was, it was a big moment for him because he's really, he acted actually, I put him in another movie of mine uh, called Reflecting Pool and he acted in that, but he's not, he, he wasn't initially an actor of any kind. He's a writer and a poet. And so what we have after, you know, shooting all that and, massaging the footage for you know uh, over a period of time is the film that you see today and so um i don't know it's rich in imagery i think it extols this weird space of of the, the almost famous or the craving to be close to fame and we and it's sort of a satirical indictment too of the materialism of you know that world of hollywood and la and all of that so um Anyway, we've been taking it around and getting a lot of good feedback on it and a lot of fun 
screenings. And so we're very happy that it's with the Experimental Film Fest. It couldn't be in a better film festival. Yeah, it's, um, you know, experimental film festivals that are exclusively experimental are pretty rare. So um, I got a a lot of great entries yep. and um, this was definitely one of them in fact one of the judges i don't know if you've ever seen film freeways judging um little interface but you know you rank uh one to mm. ten stars and then you can write in um, comments and stuff well one of the judges actually uh, put there's like a thumbs down thumbs up question mark and then a little trophy because if someone thinks it's uh, uh worthy of um an award and one of the guys who I, I trust his uh, opinion on films pretty implicitly because he's a he's a major film buff uh, he put a little trophy by his and so we talked uh, later I talked with all the judges and he goes man that's that is so cool I'd love to do something like that because <laughs> he kind of does acting oh wow so he he goes man this just gave us permission to do something like this I said, well, <clears throat> you know, it's possible because it's... Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I couldn't be more tickled than that because that's really what it's about. Because yeah. in a way, Doug, Doug, who stars in the film, is that person. He's incredibly creative guy, but in a certain way, just didn't have permission to just go out and, you know, star in his own piece and just go for it, you know? Yeah. And so that's marvelous if it could inspire people to do that. It's yeah. great. In fact, that's what I think experimental film is all about. It's really kind of, as I've described before, walking closer to the edge so that mainstream filmmakers can have permission to do certain things in their films rather than making everything sort of formulaic. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right about that, Ken. I mean, you know, we, we fall in so hard into formulas um hollywood of course and studios are to blame a lot for that but it's because we you know when do we decide that there is a standard that you have to say well there's a three-act structure and you've got to have a protagonist and you've got to do this and a shot you know has to basically follow these principles when some of the greatest films we know are just bold experiments from Citizen Kane to, you know, uh, any of, you know, Bergman's persona, for God's sake, which is a masterpiece. You know, it's like it's just weird stuff that he wanted to try. And uh, so, yeah, to celebrate experimentation is really crucial. Yeah. In, in my last film, uh, Welcome to the Men's Group, which is, you know, has, is a scripted comedy drama about these eight men who get together to talk about their lives. And, and it follows a lot of, you know, the, the, um, w what is expected in a, in a standard comedy drama. Although we, I pushed some of the envelope of experimentation by saying it's, it's going to be really largely these men talking to each other. And, the, and, and we're showing an audience what that experience looks like. And, but at one point I wanted to do some animation where one guy starts to tell this mythical story and it's a it's a story about the ancient greek titans and he's relating it to a theme in the men's group and he starts drumming on a table and we and i wanted to bust out into animation and show the interior of a cave with drawings appearing and all this stuff and and i was convinced of it and i put it in the script and most people including my co-writer and co-producer said i don't know you know, we're in the middle of a, a kind of comedy drama with these guys, and now you're going to do animation? Come on, you know, everyone's going to go, what are you doing? And I said, just trust me, it'll be like the very thing you want in the middle of this movie. It's in the first third, third first half of the film. You'll be, you'll be so tired of listening to these guys talk, you'll want to see some animation. And I got an animator, and we did it. And it's in the movie, and it's probably one of the most exciting moments in the film where we go from live action into animation and, and back again. And it's not a problem. It was, it's a wonderful part. And you, you could stand back and say, yeah, but the rest of the film doesn't do that. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter. I agree. You know? I, like those, yeah. I like those transitions. Yeah. Like in the movie, the wall, 
you know, how they go mm. live action to animation, you know, and as I was watching that, I was like, what, where did this happen? <laughs> you know, cause it, mm. it happens so subtly. Yeah. The wall. Absolutely. There's a perfect example of, you know, mixed media and trying things. I mean, look at David Lynch, you know, it's even his most standard films, if you can call them that, are are experimental almost yeah. always. They they try things. Yeah, this is true. You know, I was watching a great film last night. Oh, a film that I like. I don't know if other people like it, but it's a Paul Thomas Anderson film called There Will Be Blood, all about the oil, um, history of oil drilling in California with Daniel Day-Lewis. And the, the whole first 20 minutes of the film is without dialogue. It's just, you know, you just, you're just watching the drama unfold of a guy who's digging a, a coal mine, a oil well, essentially, and what happens in his life. And it's all without dialogue. And I, I and I'll bet you anything, and I don't know because I haven't talked to Paul Thomas Anderson, but the whole beginning reminds me of one of the most experimental things in a big movie, which was 2001, which is the, which is the apes. Oh yeah. The whole dawn of man, you know, and I think that he, uh, I don't know, he did some stuff with the music and I said, oh, he's kind of doing the dawn of man from Kubrick, you know, with this. And I'll bet you he was referencing that, which was totally weird in 19, what was it, 68, you know, for people to see that, I don't know, I think, you know, to see these, these apes discovering, you know, an obelisk yeah. at the dawn of time, you know, so experimentation man it's it's where it's at that's right it's definitely where it's at you're listening to the experimental film podcast with ken hess and now back to the show so speaking of experimentation you filmed on sunset strip and to me that would be a logistical nightmare i mean the, you know, the noise <laughs> and the you know people honking as they come by when they see you with a camera um, how did you mm. handle that kind of stuff? Oh, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I've had a little bit of a, oh, I would say a, a, an education with shooting um, what I would call guerrilla style. Um, and it's uh, the first time I really did it for real, not just playing around, was... Uh, a really terrific film, which uh, I'd love to share with you at some point, um, which we made, finished it in 2007. It took about five years to make the film. It was called Hunger, and it was based on a, on a very famous Norwegian novel of the same name about an artist who sort of spirals down into his existential crisis about hunger. And we shot it on the streets of Hollywood, and we did it um, because of the dogma movement, you know, that said, you remember Dogma 95 with Thomas Vinterberg and Lars von Trier and those guys, the Danish guys who said, you should just go out with the video camera and start shooting your movie and, and, and stop with all this, you know, lighting and just go to the place where it's going to take place. And they had this whole thing called the, the rules of chastity. And so my dear friend, director Maria Geis, who also wrote the script and me, went out and started shooting hunger that way on the streets of Hollywood. And we were mostly not permitted. So we just kind of skulked around, you know, um, I think a couple times we drew permits for like a park or something, but you just, you know, you get used to shooting around people. And, and the good thing about today is the smaller these cameras are, people think you're just like goofing around, you know, they don't even, think of you like uh, shooting a major motion picture or even a, a real artistic short. Uh, you could be just shooting home movies for all they know. Yeah, true. So, so that's changed a lot. You don't have this big crew. You know, it's just me, the camera guy, um, and the actor. And so we can play around, and I could send, I could send Doug Nod across the street and say, okay, walk across that thing, and we'll be over here, and I'll signal to you, and... You know, a couple of times we put him on a bus and took him off the bus. And I said, we'll meet you at the next bus stop, you know. Um, so we just kind of played it loose and 
tried to get around um, any major, you know, people trying to, you know, what is it, photobomb us or whatever. Right. Um, mostly they didn't, to be honest. Um, and you just try to disappear the best you can. Um, you know, you always push the envelope if you're in front of a club or something where they're kind of going, okay, we don't, you know, we have our rules and we don't want people making movies in front of us. But if you're just uh, wait, you wait patiently, wait your turn, and then, you know, find that magic moment more or less where, where there's a there's peace in the street or there's enough of a crowd that no one will even look at you. And you just kind of go gorilla on them. And uh, you, you, you don't want to, you, you definitely have to try not to draw attention to yourself. And that's tricky. Yeah. Um, depending on what your story is. And in this case, we had a funny guy dressed up in a, a baseball cap and a long coat with a lantern, which was a little bit weird, but Hey, it's Hollywood and sunset Boulevard and people dress up as Gumby, you know? So it's, uh, we, we got around it that way. I was going to say sunset, sunset Boulevard. What, mm. what's really too weird for there? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so how long did you um, it took you to complete the film? Just the shooting? The, the sunset strip, uh, we shot over a period of, I'm going to say we did about, I'm going to say we did like about a week's worth of shooting, like various, uh, all at night. So various nights, but we did it, um, in little clusters. So, um, yeah, there, there, cause it had to do with scheduling and so forth and, and, and certain changes in the sunset strip that I wanted to get, um, things that I liked better than I liked before. So I think over a period of a, a few months, we would go back to sunset and shoot some more and then go back and, you know, redo some stuff and rework it. And, um, yeah, so I would say all in all, though, I, I maybe a group of six or seven nights altogether. Oh. Um, so, again, you know, it shows you how simple... It can be. Now, there's a lot, a ton of other, you know, footage, of course, that you're that never winds up in the movie because you're trying things and some stuff doesn't work and you have to get around things. But um, but we got very lucky with some of the imagery, some of the moments and uh, a lot of interaction. You know, I really pushed Doug to, like, interact with various people on the street uh, just to see what would happen. So a little bit of... Uh, candid camera on that um and most people were very friendly and you know interested because he's kind of a funny funny persona so um yeah but the gorilla thing it can work i've done it in i would say at least three or four films uh in three features i've done gorilla shooting where we don't have a permit we just go out and you know, it's uh, it makes things kind of edgy, but uh, all the more interesting. Yeah, I like that. I, <laughs> I like guerrilla filmmaking myself. In fact, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, was it just uh, you and the actor or you and a camera guy? Or did you have a full crew? But you've already said that it's just the you and the camera guy and your actor. Yeah. And, and I would hold uh, various things. Sometimes I'd um, throw in some added light although we tried to use mostly natural light. Um, and, you know, the, the most of these cameras today, the sensors are quite good, so you can shoot in fairly low light. Um, but I think a couple times we, we had a light pad out there or one of those kits. Um, and sound is, you know, sound is, is key. You know, it's always, every filmmaker says it, and certainly with guerrilla shooting big time. So having a lav mic on your actor and making sure it's working and the batteries haven't died and things like that. Very, very important because, yeah. um, because good sound is key for everything. Yeah, you know, Bad sound just kills it. And it sounds really good. That's why I was saying sunset strip would be a, a nightmare for me because of the, all the extraneous sounds you'd have to have really good equipment to uh, make that happen. Yeah, but I, I think I think you can do better than you think, you know, because um, we did we did a couple of different ways. I, th I know we had a lav mic on him, which are easy to you know install more or less. Um, but my cinematographer 
is uh, my friend Hughes Hall, who's one of my oldest friends. We've done a million different projects together. And he shot and, um, and was also the editor. So we sat together editing for several months and uh, a couple of years, actually. Because Sunset Strip, um, in the middle of it, um, I started production and welcomed to the men's group. And so we had to kind of table it for a while and then come back to it later. Um, but I think, you know, skeleton crew, guerrilla filmmaking, as long as it's suited to your project, you know, that's, I always go back to that. You know, it's like people say like, well, you know, you're shooting with this tiny little camera. Yeah. But if it's, you know, if your subject, let's say in this case, we wanted this sort of raw feel of Sunset Boulevard, it works fine. You know, it's not, uh, we're not trying to do Lawrence of Arabia, you know, um, or or an English drawing room, you know, comedy. So, you know, I look, you know, right now, in the next, dare I say, six months to a year, it's going to be very, it's another conversation, but it's going to be very interesting to see what and how, you know, making movies is going to look like. But I would, I would guess that because of, you know, legal concerns and production insurance issues and things like that, we may have very limited crews, right? very basic crews just to, to get, get the scenes we want to get, you know, whatever it is. So, um, I highly recommend it for all filmmakers. I mean, you know, Robert Rodriguez and <laughs> yeah. the one man band out there, you know, these are, these are the guys we should do always be looking to. It's true. So which filmmakers are your inspiration? Who have you been uh, sort of inspired by? Oh, boy. That's a big question. Uh, oh, like I, I think I started out saying when we first started talking today that, you know, I had so many um, influences uh, early on in terms of my, my father's love of cinema world cinema also not just american but european um so you know but i i i mean i i was raised on a diet of uh you know old silent movies you know from the old silent comedies to uh classic westerns to film noir and you know all the way up to you know what i would consider even more you know, modern, you know, and sci-fi stuff and all that. So I, I love every genre of films, you know, it's so hard to say. I'd say personally, I like, I, I, I've been knocked out, you know, by the work of guys like Ingmar Bergman, who make basically small kind of intimate, you know, character studies that just also have these far-reaching, you know, implications, either spiritually or philosophically or historically you know and i just i just think he was he was tremendous um on the other side you know of the spectrum uh i love uh you know guys like well you know the guy that that made that film that we talked about earlier that my father was in bob carroll ted nallis paul mazursky he was one of my favorite american directors uh he made some incredible he made that film and he made a lot of films during the 70s that were really um very original and very special. They're personal. You know, I think I like personal films most of all. But hey, you know, I'm a huge fan of like universal horror, right? Going back to, you know, Frankenstein and the Wolfman and oh. Dracula and the whole thing. So I'm a huge fan of all those films. And I grew up, I, I, I think I loved monster movies more than anything growing up. You know, that was my go-to. The great director's are infinitely are really inspiring from you know Kubrick to David Lean to you know you know obviously John Ford and Howard Hawks and um, all these great American directors. Um, Sunset Strip is is a bold experiment even for me because I think I'm a little bit more. I love experimentation, but I think I also come from a background of you know, more traditional storytelling. So it was kind of a breakout for me to make this film. Well, yeah. it seemed to work. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good experiment. I like it. So at the very beginning, there's a quote that um, there's always the feeling of wind. Where is that from? 
There's always the feeling of wind, even when there is no wind. Uh, that's that's um, the quotes that appear in the film are actually embedded in the poem itself. So they're all from the writer, performer, Doug Knott. There's always the feeling of wind, even when there is no wind. That's the opening line that he speaks in the piece. And so what we what I did is I used that technique of the, the, the minute foreshadow where we'd say, well, here's a line of this poem. And then the actor performer speaks it at some point in the next passage. So it was a way to kind of leapfrog through the poem and also say that this is a, a film of a literary work also. Like it's, there are, it's a literary idea or, or ideas can be literary. Um, I've seen that done, you know, Woody Allen did it in Hannah and Her Sisters. Uh, I think many people, he, he may have copied it from someone else, but, you know, many people have copied him. Uh, and I, I just thought it was appropriate for this because it, it is a, uh, it's a performance poem. And so I thought, you know, let's, let's have a little, and it's actually several times throughout the film, you'll see these little uh, title cards, which have quotes and they're, they're dug not, they're not from anyone else. Oh yeah. That's fun. In fact, it kind of gives you a feeling of deja vu because you just see that for a second. And then, you know, during the, you hear it, you hear it. And it's like, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's kind yeah. of interesting. Cause you know, in, in traditional silent films, they would speak and then they would show a title card after that to show you what they said. So, it's a little bit different, you know, it's a little bit different feeling for it. And I really like the, uh, the change of order. Yeah. It's, it's like, I said, it's like this little leapfrog motif where you sort of, we, I, you know, we throw an idea at you and go, well, what does that mean? And then we see the performer kind of doing something and then he ends up even saying, it. you know, so, we, you know, it's sort of trying to tie it image idea and writing also, is there an underlying message to the film? I know you filmed part of it in black and white and then part of it in color. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah. That was another experiment, which normally you don't switch from color to black and white and back, but we thought we, we, we thought that the, the color was so, is so garish is so over the top with sunset Boulevard that in a way it was like, let's, experimented with desaturating to the point where we just said, well, let's just make it black and white. It's just like, it's very noirish. We focus more on, on the actor and, and what he's doing and what he might be saying, which is a big part of the movie. But then we go into this weird hyper reality with the mentors uh, scene where, (laughs) which is drug fueled and crazy and shot with a green screen and all of that. So we thought, yeah, let's just go gonzo on color with that. The underlying message is, gosh, uh, is in is in the film in one of the lines that Doug Knott speaks. Um, and he, the thing I'm always left with is the last lines of the film where he's he's literally on his knees after this wild kind of journey, kaleidoscopic journey through Sunset Boulevard, and he's there saying. He's, he's he's genuflecting, basically saying, it will happen for me, it will happen for me, it will happen for me. And that's that's the affirmation that so many of us uh, aspire to in life, you know, that we want to be part of the big movie, the big picture, the big scene. And we don't feel that we are, you know, in fact, we feel removed from it on a certain level. It's the movie where I'm always the star waiting for the light to change, waiting for the big change. City of stars, neighborhood of strangers. It will happen for me. 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 And 
I don't know if that's an answer, but it's it's somehow the film is speaking to that gap in between, you know, that we we want to we want to be alive and imbued by something, you know, maybe it's just life, but we often mistake that for fame or artistic merit or whatever and and we feel at a remove from it and so him him there on on his knees saying it will happen for me with his hands in a prayer that's kind of the essence of the movie is is and that it's a bit of a delusion and then the phone rings and you know god is calling basically but there's no way to answer it right because you know all the phones have been removed now from pay phones (laughs) yeah are you working on any other experimental projects? Yes. In fact, I am. Um, I mean, I've always got my hand in working on what I would consider as a standard project, like a series. There's a couple of series projects I'm trying to do uh, and features. Um, but, uh, in fact, I was going to shoot this in, oh, my gosh, when were we going to shoot it? In April. And then, you know, quarantine descended, and I'm here in France, so I couldn't travel back to the States. But um, I'm shooting a project, hopefully later this year, if things lighten up a bit, with, uh, with uh, a friend of mine in Pennsylvania. And it's a short piece. I would call it experimental. Um, it does have a script. And it's based on the an idea that I came up with several years ago that I hope to do as a series, either a series of films or a series like, you know, for streaming. Um, that's all about a use storage facility, you know, a, store, a storage facility where you, you store your stuff, right. which is kind of an Ameri- American, you know, staple uh, because we have so much stuff. We don't know what to do with it. So we have these centers where we store everything. And it's it's basically haunted. On some there's some weird spirit in this place. And so the stories that you will see uh, are about every each unit in one of these storage facilities and how things are either hidden there that want to get out or have some relationship with the person who is storing them and about how their life is tied to these things, things that they want to either hide things that they want to save and hold on to things, you know, all about what, what is, what are the things that we keep attached to and um, bizarre things happen in the storage facility where I won't tell you what they are. You'd have to see it. So we're going to shoot the first one. Um, And we were ready to go in April and then we had to postpone. So that's, that's next on my plate uh, unless something else pops up sooner. And, uh, and meanwhile, I'm doing a ton of work uh, online. I hold workshops on Zoom with uh, the walking in your shoes technique and and my theater workshop as well. So I'm doing a ton of work, even sitting here in France, interacting with people all over the world. So it's Corona has really been an interesting thing yeah. to open up some possibilities. Yeah. I'll have to check those out. I'll uh, I'll look for them. In fact, uh, my next and final question for you is: Do you have a website or other ways for the audience to uh, check out your work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's my name, josephculp.com. You can Google that, and uh, uh, josephculp.com has all kinds of stuff about my movies and my acting career and various things, and it has a link to this thing I've mentioned a couple of times called walking in your shoes, which is an empathic body mind technique that people use for personal development, personal growth, um, where you learn that you can walk um, as, which means move as, as some aspect of another person and it has meaning for them. And I hold these, these international meetings online uh, twice a week where people, you can come, they're free and I welcome you to check it out sometime. And that's, uh, you can just go to the Walking in Your Shoes Institute of America uh, and find out more about that. Well, I'm definitely going to do that. I appreciate it. You bet. Well, thank you for coming on today. And I really appreciate your taking your time. And, um, you know, I'd love to have you back on again sometime if you, you know, have another project or something you want to talk about. Just uh, give me a holler. 
Thanks so much, Ken. And I really, again, I, I'm so excited that, that Sunset Strip is going to be in the festival. And um, that I really appreciate that. And I'm excited to tell um, Doug Knott about it because I think he doesn't know yet. He lives up in Ojai, California, and he will be thrilled. And um, I would love to come back sometime and also, uh, also mention if any listeners want to check out this film, it's on Amazon now. It just was released in the last year uh, called Welcome to the Men's Group, which got a lot of really fine attention. And it's available now. It's on Amazon Prime. And it's uh, it's got Timothy Bottoms and Stephen Tobolowski and some really amazing actors, myself included. Uh, and it's all about men's groups. It's about a men's group, a, guy, a group of guys who get together to talk about their most vulnerable feelings, and things get wildly out of hand. So I really recommend you seeing this film. And I'd love to talk about that sometime if you want to yeah. drill into you know that feature. Yeah. Check it out and tell me what you think. And you'll see the animation se- sequence that I told you about. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. you might find interesting. In fact, I might. Welcome to the men's group. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, we're all... We're all still sheltering a bit. It's time to watch a lot of movies. That's right. And we do series and movies. It's uh, crazy how, how many we've watched lately. Absolutely. Time to catch up. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on. And thank you for joining us on this 12th episode of the Experimental Film Podcast. Our guest today was director, producer, and actor Joseph Culp. Please contact me if you'd like to schedule an interview, sponsor the podcast, or point me to some cool experimental films. And we'll see you next time. If you would like to sponsor a podcast or schedule an interview, send an email to ken at experimentalfilm.info. Thanks for listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess.